Well, to those of you who are holding on to the past, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> to those of you who are looking forward to the future, Merry Christmas. It's December, y'all. Do you know that? December has arrived, but I really do hope that you have had a uh, great Thanksgiving week. Hopefully, for most of you, you at least got to get a, a day or two uh, away from work and maybe some time with family and friends, enjoying some good food and some good football, some good food, some good football, just saying. Um, or maybe it was the Black Friday deal that changed your life, right? Whatever it is that you enjoy, I hope that, I hope that you've been able to spend some days doing that. I want to send a shout out to the Adrian uh, campus. Um, it is getting to where not a week goes by that someone is not saying something to me about the blessing of connecting at that campus. And just, I just want to encourage you guys, the difference that you're making and the way that you're uh, doing that together, God truly is doing some really cool things at Adrian. So um, I'm looking forward to Wednesday because we all get to be together. All campuses get to come together. Uh, again, going to be some great food. Music, I think it's going to be fantastic. You're not going to want to miss worship on Wednesday night. All together, God's people praising him. And then um, I just spoke with someone uh, a few minutes ago. Um, she actually this morning asked Jesus to be the Savior and the King of her life, and she's going to be baptized on Wednesday night. Isn't that cool? There are others who are planning to be baptized on Wednesday too, so I'm just saying you don't want to miss that celebration. I hope that you will certainly plan to be here. Welcome to week five of Grace and Grit, a study of the book of 2 Timothy, and it's named Timothy because the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a young man, young Pastor Timothy. He pastors a church at a place called Ephesus, and today... We're picking it up in chapter 3. We're just making our way through the entire letter. Today, there are some powerful things that God has to say to us in this letter. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's pick it up with verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, and the my could continue because that's, that's the language, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's read that again. Did you get that? In fact, a few people who want to live a godly life. No. In fact, some people who want to live, no, most, no, what's the word, everyone, 
everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy, before it gets perfect, and one of these days it is going to get perfect, we just sang about it, trumpet's going to sound, Jesus is going to return again. At Christmas we celebrate a first arrival, he's going to come a second time. When he does, things are going to be perfect. But before they get perfect, Timothy, they're going to get worse. There's going to be terrible times, terrible things in the last times. That's what we read last time we were together. And here he says, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, now, either the scripture is true or somehow we have deceived ourselves into thinking that we are the exception to the rule. I mean, yeah, I know the Apostle Paul suffers persecution, and I, I know that those disciples, all of them, right, suffered persecution, and I know those early believers suffer persecution, and I know there are still people around the world today who suffer persecution because they believe in Christ, but surely we are the exception to the rule. I'm just going to warn you, Christians who actually live for themselves, Christians who serve the Lord half-heartedly when it's convenient, seldom have to pay a price for their faith. And the reason is because they are little threat to Satan's work because they are little benefit to Christ's kingdom. Have you ever heard the question posed, is there enough evidence to arrest you as a follower of Jesus? Is there enough evidence to arrest you as a Christian? Now, I, I think most people think there would be enough evidence, and the reason is because of how we tend to measure evidence. Our tendency is we think the evidence is being good and church activity. We live in a church world where that sometimes is how people measure it. It's like, do you do church stuff? Do you, do you attend church services? Do you, do, do you, you know, serve people at times? Is there evidence of goodness in your life, and is there church activity? But see, this is where the Bible differentiates the evidence. Because what the book of Acts demonstrates to us is that the greatest evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, which is what makes us an actual child of God. His spirit at home in us, the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is a boldness to speak of Jesus. A boldness to speak of Jesus. I, I, I fear sometimes the reason in our culture Jesus followers don't experience persecution is that we have been taught and programmed to always stop just short 
of ever causing any issues. We, we've been taught to stop just short of ever stirring things up. Now, now come on, I, I'm not talking about being a jerk. I, I'm not talking about when you're at work, you're supposed to be doing your work. That, that's what's a, But I'm saying sometimes we have created this mindset that you don't ever go so far that that, that acquaintance, that relationship might, they might think less of you. You don't ever go so far that it might make them push away from you or push you away from them. We, we kind of have been programmed to follow Jesus until we get to the edge of it maybe creating an issue, and at the moment that we feel like it's going to create an issue, we backtrack. And that's not the picture that the Bible paints. Following Jesus is more than just minding your own business. It's, it's more than, 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 it's living out the love and justice of Jesus to the world. And if you accept different standards than the world, there will be clashes. There will be clashes. He's like, if you stand for what is truth, if you stand for what is right, if you love people with the love and justice of Jesus, uh, you are going to experience clashes. So how do you make it through the clashes? Well, that's what he's telling us today. Here's the first point. You got an outline today. Grab a pen, grab a pencil, do something, uh, something that you can write down, uh, fill in a few blanks in order to remember what we're learning here today. Here's, here's where Paul starts. People of strong faith are usually the product of a strong example from a spiritual mentor. People who stand firm in those difficult times, when the clashes happen, who are the people that don't just give up and, and bolt and run the other directions? They are usually the product of a strong example from a spiritual mentor. Timothy, Paul says, you know about me. You know my life. You know my faith. You know my love. You, you know about me. That word know, it involves a following, literally a physically being present in order to learn and affirm. You become like whom you follow. You become like those you follow. And Timothy is able to look at a godly father-like figure in his life, the Apostle Paul, who has nothing to hide. Timothy, look at my life, because I got nothing to hide. Timothy, look, look at my life, because I practice what I preach. Timothy, look at my life, because I am not afraid to speak boldly about Jesus. You find that kind of person, you attach. You find that kind of person, you want that relationship. You want that kind of friendship. You want that kind of connection. And when God gives you those people in your life, you realize there is power in the faith of others. There is power in the faith of others. 
And that is especially critical when you are going through suffering, when you are going through persecution, when you are going through the clashes, the faith of other people matters for you. He says, Timothy, you remember what happened in Antioch? You remember what happened in Iconium? You remember what happened in Lystra? Now, what's interesting is those three towns or cities were located in the, the, the province, if you will, of, of where Timothy's from. In fact, Lystra is Timothy's hometown. Now, those places were where Paul first began to experience persecution. When God told him to go and he began to share the good news of Jesus, these were the places when people began to push back. And particularly in Lystra, Paul encounters a man who has been crippled from birth. He's a grown man, never walked, and a miracle happens. God causes a man to walk. And when that happens, and the, and the reason is pointed toward Jesus, people start pushing back. You say, why in the world would anybody ever push back if a man who is lame could walk? That's a part of the picture of the darkness. It's just always in opposition to Jesus. Here you've got a man who couldn't walk, suddenly can walk. It doesn't matter because the pushback is against Jesus. And all of a sudden, they take Paul, they stone him. In Lystra, they pick up rocks as a mob and they throw the rocks at Paul. Until it says they drag Paul out of town thinking he is dead. I've even had some seminary professors along the way that have raised the question, was he dead? Was Paul actually dead? They think he's dead. In other words, they don't think he's breathing. I don't know. Could God raise him? Sure. He'd done it before. But whether he was or not, can we see the seriousness of the moment? They want him dead. They think he's dead. They've taken it that far. They drag him out of the city. And Timothy witnessed Paul after such persecution. Get up and open his mouth and proclaim Jesus is Lord. Timothy needed that. He was going to need it even more than he knew. I'm telling you, there is power in the faith of others. Whether you're a fan or not, um, for a lot of folks in the just Christian music world, um, about a month or so ago, um, a guy by the name of Toby Mack um, experienced the loss of his son, 21 years old, cardiac arrest. And there were some things that Toby Mack and his wife chose to communicate out of that loss several times, and I'm, I'm going to put a few of them together here because I just want you to hear a few things that he says. 
my wife and I would want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him. Like, we'll follow if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He is the God of the hills and the valleys, and he is beautiful above all things. Also, we've been encouraging ourselves to stand on this. The place of death is actually where all we believe is most significant. That God has the power to do what he promised, defeat death, and give life to anyone who believes. So from the valley of the shadow of death, we pray a flood of thankfulness will rise this week. Thankfulness to a kind God who is not afraid, the father of the heavenly lights, who shines most beautifully in the darkness and gives us everything we need. There is power in the faith of others. I don't know Toby Mac from Adam. But when I read those words, my faith was encouraged. And I was reminded, right, that this, this life of following Jesus, this, this, is, this is not some machine where we, is, we feed it in order to, to, to make sure we get what, what we want. I, I was encouraged to remember this is what real faith looks like. I don't know Toby Mac. But my faith is strengthened. I'm saying how much more so does that happen in your life when you intentionally attach to people, linked with people, family members, friendships, life teams, people like Paul and Timothy were together, their faith is powerful for you and your faith is powerful for them. Timothy needed to hear Paul say, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. And we want to go, what? What do you mean he rescued you? Paul, they hit you with stones till you might have stopped breathing. What do you mean they rescued you? And Paul's like, I'm still here. I'm still here and I'm still talking about Jesus. He says, I endured it is, it is a word that literally, it's, it's the picture of, you know how uh, you've ever stepped on some sort of a plant or some sort of a small, you know, a little twig or something coming out of the ground, and you know how you step on it, and then when you get off of it, that thing just goes right back. And you're trying to squish it, and you step on it, and it just bounces right back. That's what this word is. Paul says, this is what he did for me. Sometimes God rescues us from death. Sometimes he rescues us by death, but either way, nothing can separate us from his love. See, the problem is, I think today, we tend to measure God's faithfulness by his ability or his willingness to keep us away from all pressure, all struggle, all persecution, that's how we declare God's good. If he removes us from all of that, and that is not how he said it would be. And so sometimes when, the, when we begin to feel the pressure, we begin to feel the clash. Thinking this is something wrong, we, we take steps backwards rather than in humility 
continuing to boldly speak of who Jesus is. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. But as for you, continue. It's exactly what it sounds like. Timothy, I want you to keep on doing what you're doing. Continue in what you have learned. Timothy, you have gained some information. Instruction has been given to you. This word learned is connected to the word we think of disciple. That's what this word is. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. We'll come back to that word. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. He says, Timothy, I I want you to learn And that which you've become convinced of, it's the word assured. It is a fixed and a firm belief. It is the non-negotiable. It's that stuff in your life that that is such confidence that it produces stability. It's what we call conviction. And it's the second lesson that I want us to see today. People of strong faith have deep roots of conviction. Not just what you've learned. But this is what you have become assured of. Timothy, you know it. It's absolute. It's positive. It's beyond the doubt knowledge for you. And a part of why you know this is because of who you learned it from. Who's the whom? It's a plural. Who's the whom? Well, if he knows the scriptures, a part of the whom is the actual people in the scriptures. So we've got people like the Old Testament prophets. Timothy, you know what you've learned from these prophets who've walked it out before you. You trust it because you know this is real. But we also know that when we read this letter to Timothy, back in the, in the, in the first chapter, we read about a godly grandmother that Timothy had named Lois. And we read about a godly mom that he had named Eunice. And that they, they pour the faith into Timothy. And then about the time that he's a teenager, this man comes along who's got nothing to hide, practices what he preaches, and ain't scared of nobody when it comes to talking about Jesus. And the apostle Paul says, Timothy, come on. And Paul says, Timothy, because of the whom you've learned this from, you you know this is real. Do you realize that if you want to pass along conviction to someone, you got to do more than just feed them information? If you want to pass conviction along to someone, you got to do more than just feed them info. You also got to show them by the way you live that you believe what you're saying you believe. And by you living it out, calling them to believe the same. And so for Timothy, he says, this was from infancy. And that really is the word. It's like from, from when he was a baby. He says, you've known the Holy Scriptures. The term for the Holy Scriptures there, he's referring to the Old Testament. Timothy, this is what your mom and your grandmother and I and others have taught you along the way. In other words, there is power in learning at an early age. And the learning we're talking about here is obviously the scriptures. There's power in learning at an early age. From infancy, 
It's the same word that the apostle Peter uses when he says, those of you who just put your trust in Jesus, you are like infants who crave the milk of God's word. Same word. How blessed you are if somebody gave you God's word when you were young. How blessed you are. Because they are giving you an opportunity, in many cases, to avoid some painful stuff if you will choose not to, to let yourself do the guiding but let God do the guiding you can avoid some painful painful stuff in your life and you get to experience the blessing of God's presence not just the set of rules to help keep you out of trouble but but the presence of God that is with you so much blessing if somebody gave you his word at an early age but if you didn't receive it as a child, I want to encourage you to not sulk in the blessing that you have now received it and instead choose to do your part in seeing that the children around you get it. And so the question today is in your house, how intentional are you about your kids getting this? Like, come on, we, we know we know how hard we have to work at homework sometimes. We know how many hours we put into math and reading and everything else you can imagine. And, and, and why do we do that? It's like, well, because we want to give our kids opportunity. And we do. We do. We want them to study and we want them to learn. There is a God-honoring fact in all that. But come on, what we're talking about here today is the stuff of eternity. What we're talking about here today is understanding that you can give them everything else, the whole world, and they lose their soul. And so to be intentional about giving your kids in your house God's word and instruction but I'm reminding you today that if you want it to become conviction, you can't just teach them words. If you want it to become conviction, they must see you live it out. Are you intentional about teaching kids in God's family? And I get it, some of y'all aren't good with kids. Like, stay away from our kids. You're not good with kids. Stay away from our kids, right? I'm just kidding. My point is, though, if you're not a great kid teacher, what are you doing that's your part, though, to see that the children in this household are coming to know the truth of God's word? Maybe you're supporting teachers. You're encouraging people. You're doing whatever it is. How, how, do, how do you do your part? And then just the kids in the arena of your life well, why is this so important? Here's why it's so important. Let's go back to verse 15. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's the third lesson today. People of strong faith 
relentlessly affirm the authority and sufficiency of God's word. You're going to stand firm in the pressure. You're going to stand firm in the suffering. You're going to stand firm in the persecution. You will be a person who affirms the authority and the sufficiency of God's word. Now, why, why do we say that God's word is authoritative? Well, here's why. Because all scripture, he says, is breathed out from God. All scripture is breathed out from God. Now, when he uses the word scripture here, it's a different word than the holy scriptures that were mentioned earlier. The holy scriptures that he mentioned earlier really reference the Old Testament. But when he says scripture here, he is referring, it's a different term, all that God gives us as his word, Old Testament, New Testament, even though in Timothy's day, much of that is, is still being written. It's all the writings that God gives us. It is God breathed out. Sometimes the word that's used is the word it is inspired. And I believe that. But honestly, the word inspired it isn't even the, the best word. Uh, the word inspired, it comes from a Latin root, root word that, that, that means to, to bring in. And really, the, the word here, theonustos, it, it means breathed out. It means God breathed out. In other words, it isn't, it isn't that God breathes into a writer and then he writes. It's that God breathes out his word and the writer is caused to write down what God has breathed out. It, is, it isn't as though God breathes inspiration so that a person can be inspirational. It is that God breathed out truth, which men then carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote down. The whole purpose is these words are God's. They're God's. He breathed them out. And he had them written down. They proceed from God, and that's why it's authoritative. The second thing he says there is that the scriptures give you wisdom to lead you to salvation that comes through faith in Jesus. Did you get all those blankets filled in? They're already filled in, aren't they? You know why? Because we didn't want to take one chance that you wouldn't get that statement today. The scriptures give you wisdom to lead you to salvation that comes through faith in Jesus. The scriptures are able, he says. It's the word power. It's dunamai. It's, it's power. The scriptures have the power. Romans chapter 1 tells us the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The scriptures can do what no other writings can do. But don't miss it now. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5. One day he's talking to a group of people and this is what he says. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Here's the point. Scriptures do not save you if they do not turn you to a savior. These people knew with knowledge what the scriptures had to say, but, but they, they didn't trust in a savior. 
Wisdom does not save you. Wisdom alone is of no eternal value if it doesn't point you to a savior. I'm going to go a little further. Faith does not save you if it's not faith in a savior. We are saved by Christ, activated through faith. Sometimes you'll hear people will say, well, I'm a believer. I'm a person that believes. And you say, well, what do you believe? Like, well, I'm, I'm just a believer. I just want you to know that I, can I tell you that believing in believing is not adequate for salvation? It's not. You are saved by Jesus when you believe in him. Faith is the instrument that brings you to the one who alone can save. Jesus saves you. And then the last statement is there is power in God's word to produce people of God for every good work. It is sufficient. You have a divine purpose. It is to share an unstoppable gospel about a risen Savior. And there will be pushback if you do that within the power of the Holy Spirit. You have a divine purpose to share an unstoppable gospel with the people that you work with, the people that you live near, the, the, the people that you interact, come on, the, the people that you, 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 you're on a team, you're in a classroom, you, you have a divine purpose. But if you do that in the power of God's spirit, there are times there is going to be pushback. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is among some of the most preached verses in all the Bible. And I think today you could see why. I mean, it's just this statement about here's what God's word is. It really is God's word that's breathed out. I mean, it, it, it's real. It, this is God's word, authoritative. It is sufficient. I mean, there's just so much there. But when's the last time you heard this preached or taught considering the context? In, in other words, when's the last time you heard a talk on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, when it wasn't only a proof text of Scripture, but also seen as a footnote within a larger conversation that all who desire to follow Jesus are going to suffer for Jesus. And the only possible thing to prepare you for such an inevitable future is being transformed by the word of God. Not just talking about him filling your mind, but transformed in your life. In other words, if you follow Jesus, you're going to experience pushback. And the only way you're going to make it through that is the word of God. That's not how we teach it. We, we just present it usually as information about the Bible, but we disconnect it from the life that he's saying, this is why you need this so much. 
Paul's not just saying the Bible is trustworthy so you can stake your life on it. He's saying the Bible is trustworthy and you have to stake your life on it because when the pushback comes, you're not going to be able to stand. The difference in our culture is we got a bunch of people inside the church walking around and there is no pushback. Not for faith. There is no pushback for speaking of Jesus. And therefore, we struggle to see how much we need God's word. I'll never ever forget one of the first times I had the chance to travel to China. It was before any of our Project Nick shelters existed. We actually went with that vision in our heart, but we went visiting another orphanage, if you will, in China. Someone that we had met, it was not an orphanage built on the Holy Scriptures, it was not an, uh, an orphanage built on faith in Jesus, but it was like, we can, we can learn something here, we just want to see how this works. And I remember um, Mike and I took a journey and, and to visit this orphanage. I remember literally just sleeping on plywood. It was a piece of plywood. It was nothing else but a piece of plywood, and it was cold. One morning, I got up for breakfast. There were a couple of ladies who did the cooking in that orphanage. And when I got up for breakfast, there were a couple of people milling around, but suddenly the moment happened where everybody else had exited the room and it was just me and those two ladies. And one of them nodded to the other one and she reached into her pocket and she took out what was folded, folded pieces of paper. Almost think about a, a piece of paper that's folded in fourths. That's what it looked like. And I, I don't speak a lick of Mandarin, and they didn't speak any English, and they're trying to communicate to me. And over the course of the next five minutes or so, because I had a Bible with me and we were able to do word pictures, I realized that what she held in her hands was all the scripture that she owned. And along the way, you could tell she had written down those scriptures. And the way she held it, you could tell there wasn't anything else in this world that was more precious to them than a few pieces of paper that were pieces of the breathed out word of God. After I finished working myself over for being so dumb to actually go there without a copy that I could hand to them because my English did nothing. They, they didn't know it. But I've never forgotten that moment and asking the question, do we have any idea what we have?
And then let's just quickly move toward. So God, will you give us eyes to see? God, will you give us eyes to see what we have? I have so many copies, I don't even know how many I have. It's like, okay, what, what, why? And Paul would say, here's why you need to see this is so valuable. In a minute, we're going to sing a song about how there's another in the fire. We learned it last week. You like the song? I love it. That when we're in the fire, we're not alone in the fire. There's another in the fire, right? There's another in the water. When you're walking through the deep waters, there's another who's holding back the sea. And somehow it's like we read those stories of the Old Testament. We read those stories of God's presence. And I'm saying here's what it's time for us to begin to learn how to sing For some of you, is to realize there's another in your house. Because <laughs> there are people in your house that you have a divine appointment to share an unstoppable gospel. There are people in your family, and you are not alone. There is one who is with you. So be bold in what he's given you, a divine appointment to share about a risen Savior. You're not alone in your family. Some of you need to be reminded you're not alone in your office. You're not, you're not alone in your work. I know there's pushback. I know at times there, there may be even ridicule, but don't stop in your boldness. You need God's word to enable you to stay strong. Come on, some of you, you are not alone in a classroom. You are not alone on the team, right? You, you are not alone. There are relationships. There are people who are without Jesus, and you have a divine appointment with an an unstoppable gospel about a risen Savior, yes, some of them are going to reject it. Yes, some of them are going to push back. That's why God's word becomes critical to you. You're not just studying it to demonstrate how much you know. You are studying it to demonstrate who you actually know. So in light of what we have heard from God today, what do we need to ask?